0: Let's open with a word of prayer, if you with me. <laughs> Father, we love you. Father, we thank you. Father, I just pray that your spirit move within this place. I pray that you give me the words to speak, that they may not be mine, but that they may be yours. Father, I pray that you open the eyes and the mind and the heart and the ears of your children here this morning, Father, And uh, that we can just come away after reading your word uh, with a better understanding of who you are, who we are, in your image, who your son is. And that we can express our faith to you on a day in and day out process. And so Father, I just thank you for this opportunity that we have to get together, to study your word together as a family. Let us not take that for granted. It's in Christ's precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, everybody uh, loves a good story. The ability to effectively tell a good story is such a valuable commodity in our society. That's because we live in an attention economy. When in doubt, if someone can grab your attention, they will find secular success in life. Businesses uh, today are all about grabbing our attention by telling us stories—stories stories of good and stories of bad. When you when you watch, uh, turn on the television, and you see uh, whether it's the commercials or advertisements uh, come on, you will see that these commercials nowadays they are presenting a story about how their product can change your life. And sometimes they can be really, really dramatic about how a candy bar or or a can of pop or or whatever it may be can can dramatically alter your life Um, because they're trying to tell a story. They're trying to grab your attention. And there is a lot of money invested in this industry of grabbing our attention because that is where the money is at. One company that has really mastered this art of telling a story and grabbing our attention is Disney. Disney knows what it takes to make a good story. One key element of a good story is that you got to pit a good guy or a good group of people versus a bad guy or bad group of people. Many Disney movies that we watch are very easily recognizable by their bad guys, by the villains, by the antagonists of the story. And so this morning we have 15 pictures of bad guys or bad gals from Disney movies. And so we're going to go through the pictures. When you see their picture up on the screen, I want you to blurt out which Disney movie they are from. So go ahead, Ben. Awesome. How did you do? Raise your hand if you got all 15 correct. Well done. I don't even need to look. I know my wife, uh, Jamie, pretty well. I know she got all 15 right. I could hear uh, Jen and Jamie pretty loud up here with all 15 uh, Disney uh, movies. But and we got some other Disney fans uh, in uh, the building as well. And so a lot of us, we're, we're able to recognize these different stories just by a, seeing a picture of the main antagonist, of the villain of the story. As Disney loves telling the story uh, of pitting good versus bad. They, they have mastered that Hard. They, they have made a tremendous amount of money because they know how to do this. They know how to pay a good guy versus a bad guy. And uh, I think that's, uh, for me personally, I think that's why, I especially like a World War II history, it's so clearly, I know I, I jumped uh, ships right there pretty far, uh, I'll explain that in a minute here. Uh, for me, I, I love World War II history because it's so clearly defined who are the good guys and who are the bad guys in, in this history of World War II As most of this world will recognize that uh, the Nazis in in this uh, atrocious uh, story, this atrocious real-life event just about everybody recognizes that that they are the bad guys, and the people who oppose them, they are the good guys. I think that's why I like uh, World War II history uh, so much. A lot of times in history, the picture is muddied up a bit. It's not super clear who are the good guys in this uh, event, in this war, who are the bad guys in this historical event. But in the story of mankind, The enemy is very, very clear in my eyes, and the enemy is sin. And I think uh, the devil, to to go a step further, I think the devil is is the the supreme agent of sin. Sin. He he, he is the, the, the guy corralling the army for the bad guy in the story of mankind. Sin. And so today, as we continue our, seri- our series on the book of Romans, we'll be studying Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 12, so you can start to find that. In Romans chapter 6, uh, the, the piece of scripture that we'll be dealing with this morning, Paul highlights sin, and Paul's focus is ensuring that we don't align ourselves with the enemy in life, which is sin, And so a couple of months ago, we started this series on the book of Romans. Romans, again, is a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Rome, a church consisting of both Jewish and Gentile believers. They often met in their own homes. There are a lot of home churches present at this church at Rome, the citywide church, so Paul wanted to visit Rome to preach the gospel message. He, he was an advocate. He was an apostle of this gospel message. His ministry was all about, all about spreading the good news of Christ Jesus our Lord. And so Paul, he wanted to go visit the city of Rome to go preach the, the gospel message, but in the meantime, he was going to write a letter presenting the gospel message. And so that's what we are reading throughout this letter of Romans. We are, we are writing Paul's uh, testimony, Paul's account of this gospel-saving message. And so last week, Paul introduced baptism into the conversation. When we are baptized, we are united with Christ in both his death and his resurrection, and then Paul went on to, to clearly illustrate that we are dead to sin. And that's the focus of our piece of scripture this morning as Paul highlights the, this relationship that we have to sin. We are dead to sin. And so Paul c- continues in, in this uh, commentary here. Paul continues in Romans chapter 6, verse 12. He writes, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, To make you obey its passions. So we are dead to sin, therefore, let not sin reign in our bodies or in our mortal bodies, in reference to our current bodies. One day, if we are faithful, we will be raised imperishable. We will be be immortal, just like Christ Jesus was raised from the grave, raised from the dead, and and he was given immortality from God, his Father. One day, if we are faithful, we will have that same exact thing happen to us. We will be immortal. But with our current mortal bodies, we have to be careful not to let sin reign in our life. Let me tell you, it it is so important. Easy to do this, as it is natural to follow the desires and the passions of our hearts. Some of us may be thinking, oh, that's a good thing, following the desires and the passions of our heart. But we have to be careful about that. Uh, Jeremiah 17:9 states, the heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So when in doubt, do not trust the desires of your heart for, for they are deceitful above all things and they are in and our hearts are desperately sick. And that's an issue because we naturally want to follow the de, the desires and the passions of our heart and when we naturally follow the desires and the passions of our heart that leads to sin reigning in our lives. Paul continues verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace." So in the story of life, God is the good guy. Sin is the bad guy. We have a decision to make. Each and every one of us, we have a very, very simple decision to make. Do we want to be on the good side or do we want to be on the bad side? It is that simple. Are we going to support the work and ministry of God with our lives? Or are we going to support the work of sin in our lives? Both God and sin are looking for instruments for people to further their purpose. Each side has their own agenda, and and each side are looking for more and more people to align themselves with their purpose, with their ministry in life. You know, many people equate uh, being a Christian with having an emotional experience at church once a week. Being a Christian is not about having an emotional experience once a week. Being a Christian is a way of life. It's how you conduct yourself on Monday. It's how you conduct yourself on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday. What does your day-to-day life look like? It's not about an experience. Sure, the, the experience helps support our way of life, but the experience is not the end. Rather, this experience that we have at church once a week, this spiritual experience, it is a means to the end. It supports us in our daily walk of being a Christian, of serving God, presenting ourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And so we are called to be used as instruments for righteousness. We are called to do the right things in all circumstances. That's much of what being a Christian looks like. And now there's hope for us. Paul illustrates in verse 14, for if it were left up to our own devices, we would have no power in this fight. We would have no hope in aligning ourselves with the good team. But instead... Paul says in verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. (coughs) We are under the grace of God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And with God's grace, God has granted us power over sin. And so sin will have no dominion over us. And that, that, that's, that's a beautiful gift of grace is we are united with Christ and his death, his death that purifies us, his death that frees us from the grip of sin in our life. So Paul continues verse uh, 15, what then, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace by no means? So Paul asked the all-important question, are we to sin because we are not under law, but we are under grace, receiving something that we don't deserve? For the Israelites, they lived under the law during the time of Moses and thereafter. Uh, the regulations, the laws, the rules that they had, they, they always carried a punishment for disobedience. If you commit adultery in the law of Moses, you die under many circumstances. If you take someone's eye out in the law of Moses, you lose your eye as well. And the law of Moses, if you disobey some of the sanctifying rules, uh, setting your part uh, aside from those around you, you get cast out from society. So there were, there were very steep, steep punishments if you disobeyed the law. Well, Paul ma- makes the point that we are no longer under this law. We, we are under a new system under Christ Jesus, and so now that we aren't under the old system and have, have these punishments that, that are associated with the law of Moses, do we just freely sin? And Paul says, by no means. I'm I'm tired of this question. This is pretty much our third time addressing this general idea in the letter of Romans. How many of you guys are tired of addressing this issue with with the freedom that we have? Are we then to just sin? Raise your hand if you're tired of having this discussion. Yeah, I, I am tired of having this discussion. But Paul here, we're only in chapter 6, and Paul has already made this point three times. Three times in our series, we we have talked about not using our freedom, not using God's grace as a means to sin. By no means. And Paul here, he's he's, uh, gone through this point three times, I believe, because this was a major issue within the church. People were taking advantage of God's grace. They were using God's grace as an excuse to sin, to disobey God. And God hates sin. Paul wanted the church at Rome to ensure that you do not use your God-given freedom to live a life of sin. And so this must have been a major issue with the church at Rome. And I'm telling you, it is a major issue issue with Christians today. In my experience, all the time, people are not taking sin seriously enough. We, we use God's grace, the forgiveness, the sanctification, as an excuse to sin. That, that is cheap grace. Cheap, cheap grace. And God hates sin, but God, through his grace, has given us freedom over sin. He's given us power over sin, And too many people are using that as an excuse to commit sin day in and day out. So it was a a serious issue in the time of Paul. And at least from my own personal experience, I see that it absolutely is a serious issue with Christians today. We shall not use this grace, this freedom that we have used as an excuse to sin. So Paul continues verse 16. Do you not know? That if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. And so, Paul, here uh, in this passage of Scripture, here, Paul uses the example of a slave. Some of your translations may read servant. The Greek word here, the the original writing of Paul is doulos, which means slave in a more literal sense. More often than not, in many translations, when you read servant in the New Testament, the actual Greek word there is doulos, uh, which literally means a slave. And and so I think Paul here, he's he's talking about literal slave. He's using this analogy, this imagery of literal slaves. Now, according to uh, the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible, one out of every two people was a slave in in this Greco-Roman world that Paul lived in. That's 50%. 50% of people That potentially would have been hearing this message of Paul would have identified themselves as a slave. And now captives in war were the primary source of slaves. Slaves could be purchased from local dealers, local vendors, or they could be purchased from foreign traveling merchants. Uh, Think a la Joseph in the story of Genesis, when Joseph was sold as a slave through a foreign uh, marketer, through a, a foreign traveling merchant. Now in the New Testament, slaves were treated more like a servant than a slave that we would imagine today. Slaves in this Greco-Roman world, this world that Paul was living in and writing to, slaves, they could own property, they could earn money, and slaves actually could buy their own freedom. And so we see throughout uh, the the story of the New Testament, there was actually, uh, by surprise to some, there was not a strong opposition of slavery from Jesus or the apostles. In fact, Paul talks about in several of his letters uh, for the calling for slaves to obey their Masters. As, again, slaves in this Greco-Roman world, the, it's a completely different story for the most part compared to what we experience or, or have experienced in the past couple hundred years uh, with, with, with slaves, especially with, with the African trade of slaves and vile, vile things taking place. And I'm sure vile things took place in this world that Paul is living in. But, but, but in general, these the, the slaves, they could buy their own freedom. They, they could buy their own property they had more freedoms, they had more rights, protected rights through the scriptures as well. The Old Testament gives us some provisions for slaves. And so Paul uses this this example of a slave as his audience would have been very, very familiar with that topic. As according to that Baker Encyclopedia, one one out of every two people was a slave. So at one point in time, Paul says in this imagery of slavery at one point in time we were all slaves to sin at one point in time we had no power over sin as we were obedient to sin but Paul says through Christ we have power over sin we're now no longer are we slaves and obedient to sin we are slaves and obedient to righteousness. We are servants of God and his mission. We, we, we've been freed from our former master of sin, and now we serve righteousness. Now we serve God. So Paul says in verse 24, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So Paul continues to contrast being slaves to sin and being slaves to righteousness. And when, when we are slaves to sin, when, when we habitually obey the master of sin, then that leads to nothing other than death. We have zero hope when we are slaves to sin. When, when we have habitual practices of sin and we aren't freed from the grip of sin, we will reap what we sow. And that's death. As Jesus uh, talks about the, the, the analogy of a bad tree producing bad fruit. And so if you are a slave to sin, you will reap What you sow, the bad tree will produce bad fruit and that sin will lead to death. Now, on the other hand, some may find being slaves of righteousness and God uh, a bit odd or, or maybe even a bit harsh. But the outcome of being a slave of righteousness, of being a slave of God is that it leads to eternal life. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. And so a good tree produces good fruit. When we do the right thing, when we have this living and active faith in God, and he fills us with the spirit, he empowers us to do good, that leads to eternal life. And finally, the last verse that we'll read this morning, Verse 23. Paul writes, as he concludes this topic uh, of sin and serving God through Christ Jesus, being a slave of righteousness, Paul concludes, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is maybe my favorite uh, verse throughout all of Scripture. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of god is eternal life through christ jesus our lord and i love this verse because it highlights the difference of what we deserve and what we receive through christ jesus Many of you guys probably hold a job that you may work Monday through Friday or whatever the hours may be, and you come to an agreement with your boss or your employer on what your, rate, uh, what your wages are for your work. And, and if you don't receive those wages, there, there's going to be some serious issues. And the same applies to sin. When you sin, you are going to receive your wages, And that reward or that punishment or or that payment of sin is death. That, that, That is grave news for the world. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so everybody on earth will reap what they sow. We will all experience death. But, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so even though we all deserve death, that's the wages, that's what we deserve due to the sin that we have committed, at that same time, God is offering us a free gift of eternal life. All we have to do is accept that free gift of eternal life. And how do we accept that free gift of eternal life? Paul has highlighted, Paul will continue to highlight that, that we accept God's free gift of salvation through our faith. If you have a living faith in God and his son Jesus, then that living faith will grant you the free gift of eternal life. That free gift overrides the wages of sin. So no matter what your past looks like, no matter what the past of your neighbor looks like, there is always hope. All it takes is to put your faith in God. For the grace of God overrides the wages of sin every single time that we put our faith in him. Powerful, powerful verse there. So there's a a lot at stake overall with this passage here in chapter 6, verses 12 through 23. We all have a decision to make, a decision that we need to make every day of our lives. Do we want to align ourselves with the bad guys, sin? Or on the other hand, do we want to align ourselves with the good guys, God and Jesus? Every single human being serves as an advocate, serves as an instrument of either side, There are no spectators in this story of mankind. We all play a role in this. None of us are watching the show. We are all in the show. We are all stars in this movie of life, in the story of mankind. And you are either on the good side or you are either on the bad side. It's very simple, but that's the story. And Paul here in this passage here he expresses the importance that we need to align ourselves with God. We need to align ourselves with righteousness. We have been freed from sin. We have been freed from the bad guys. All of the bad news for us is that at one point in time, we were all on the bad side. We were all slaves to sin. The good news for us is that God is looking for people to call out of slavery to sin, God is looking for people to serve as his instruments. And the good news for for many of us is that 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 has already transpired in our life. For, For many of us here this morning, God has called us out of slavery to sin, and God has called us into slavery of righteousness and of serving God and his kingdom and his son Christ Jesus. And what do you reap from that? You reap eternal life. And all we need to do is put our faith in him, a living and active faith. A faith where someone looks at you, they can tell by the way that you live your Monday. They can tell by the way that you live your Tuesday and your Wednesday and your Thursday and your Friday and your Saturday and your Sunday. They can look at your life and they can say, he or she, you, you have faith. People need to be able to see that. And when you have that faith exhibited in your life, you will reap eternal life. And so we all have a decision to make. Are you going to serve sin or are you going to serve God? One leads to death and the other leads to eternal life. Take your pick. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for this message of Paul, uh, this... Surely means simple message. Father, I just pray that each and every one of us here this morning, we align ourselves with you and your ministry and your purpose. Father, I just pray that you use this church as an instrument for your glory and for your honor and for your righteousness. Father, I pray that you lead us away from the temptation to sin. I pray that we all recognize the power and the freedom that we have over sin. And I pray that we utilize that power and freedom on a daily basis to serve you in your coming kingdom. Father, we love you. We thank you for this gospel-saving message. It's in Christ's precious and holy and powerful name that we pray. Amen.